Every Sunday morning. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here with you and to just share this time with you. Uh, Dr. and First Lady Benton, thank you for inviting us to your campus and to your home. Thank you. Thank you. I am thankful that the Holy Spirit convened a gathering of his children. He wanted to talk with us and to us. He wants to talk through us. He's a meticulous planner. Every bloom, every wisp of sea breeze is a love deposit from him. We're here to learn of him, from him, through him, for him, for the sake of the world and the glory of God. He alone, let's get clear, he alone is our teacher this week. He's chosen and anointed some people to be voices and bodies for him. But he is our teacher. And so last night, we were blessed as our brother Rick Ashley taught us, instructed us, guided us. Rick reminded us that Jesus lived the best life ever because he lived daily in fellowship with the best gift ever. To summarize key doctrines of the Spirit that Rick instructed us in last night, the Holy Spirit is God. The Spirit is not a power to be used, but a person to be loved. The Spirit cannot be tamed One of my favorite quotes from last night is that we want God to send the Spirit's fire. We just want it to be a controlled burn. And then finally, the Spirit will make you more like Jesus. And so Jesus gave what is best for us so that we can be our best for him. So last night, we opened up and began to talk about the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But tonight, we're going to talk about the gift of the Spirit in the body of Christ. Our text is in 1 Corinthians, so be turning there to 1 Corinthians, and we'll be looking at chapters 14, 13, and 12. The Corinthians struggled with two primary problems, and these may surprise you, giving their dirty laundry that Paul hangs out throughout the text. They actually only had two stains on their laundry that they couldn't seem to scrub out. They didn't know what the Spirit was for, and they didn't know what bodies were for. And because they didn't understand the Spirit, and they couldn't grasp what a body is for, then their lives are in this terrific disarray, as is the body of Christ, to the point where the Apostle Paul says, you do realize that if you were to get out every now and then, you'd realize that even the world won't stoop to where you revel. About four weeks ago, my wife and I boarded a plane on a, Tuesday, on a Monday with Bernice King and a group of pastors from Atlanta to go to Memphis for the commemoration of the 50th year since Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. 
We got on the plane. We went to Memphis. It was a spellbinding experience. We went to the hall where the sanitation worker strike was founded. The next night, we went to the hall where King gave his last speech, where Bernice, with the gifts of her father, delivered a challenge to 2018. We boarded the plane. We went back. We got in about 3 a.m. And someone at the airport had backed into my car and had not felt the need to communicate with me about it. I'd had my last car for years. I will walk a mile in a parking lot to avoid a door ding. There was not a ding in that car. I've had this one six weeks, and someone backed into it. So I called the dealership where I bought the car. And I said, hey, this is what just happened. They were like, no problem. They said, just bring it over. I said, well, there is a problem. I'm on my way to my mom's farm out in uh, western Colorado. I'm going to be gone for a week. And they said, when are you flying out? I said, I'm flying out on Monday. They said, we'll meet you at the airport. We'll pick up your car. We'll bring it while you're gone. We'll fix it and we'll deliver it. When do you come back? I said, next Sunday afternoon. We'll be there to pick you up. I'm like, this is awesome. Thursday, they called me. Hey, having a little trouble with the insurance, not going to have your car done. I'm like, are you kidding me? But we have a loaner. We're going to bring you a loaner. We'll meet you at the airport. They met me at the airport and put me in a 2018 Cadillac. That is not what I dropped off. This car will sing to you in the morning. It'll rub your shoulders if you're hurting. It'll kiss you goodnight. So I have this car for a week. I drive it home. I don't tell my wife. I go inside. I say, hey, baby, want to go out? (laughs) We go outside. Where did you get this? I look sexier in that car. (laughs) I got me a Cadillac all week. So we're coming down to the end. They call me and tell me my car is ready. I'm praying that they'll back out and hit a garage door on the way out and need it another month. So the lady that owns the Cadillac dealership is a person that I had met several years earlier who told me a dream she'd had about building a home to help girls caught in sex trafficking. That dream came true with the help of many sponsors. And the weekend I was to turn the car back into her is the weekend of the grand opening. So I said, how about if I meet you at Gigi's house for the grand opening? So I had that Cadillac for a couple more hours. (laughs) So I'm driving around 285. I got me a little lean going on. Someone pull alongside. Shades. But I'm driving to Henry County, which is just like right outside of Destin, Florida. So I finally get there. I pull up. And they take me, and I want to introduce you to Sabrina. She's there in the middle. You'll see her on the screen. Sabrina had this dream. She wanted to do something. She wanted Gigi's house to be a place that hope begins for girls that were caught up in sex trafficking. And they had learned 
of their first four girls who were coming. The youngest is ten. You see, perhaps it's not just the Corinthians that don't know what bodies are for. I'm convinced we don't either. So let's begin and let the text of the Spirit teach us. You see, in chapter 14 and verse 1, Paul says you need to follow the way of love and the third way, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, but he pulls out one, he says, especially prophecy. Now, why do we pull out that one? Well, he clarifies in 5b, he says, so that the church might be edified. So it is with you, verse 12, since you're eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that do what? Build up, edify the church. Verse 15, so what do we do? Well, I'll pray with my spirit, and I'll also pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit. I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else? How can someone else? How can someone else? When you are in the spirit, when it's you and God, how can someone else? who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say, amen, to your thanksgiving, since they don't know what you're saying. You're giving thanks well enough, but, but here's a problem. It's a spiritual problem. You see, while you're so close to God, no one else is edified. So verse 26, what do we say then, brothers and sisters? Well, how about this? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done for what? Well, so that I can have my one-on-one -on -one with God. So I can go home refueled from my one-on-one -on -one with God. Paul says, well, that's interesting because that's not what the Spirit told me. He said it ought to be done so the church would be built up. So Paul kind of gets down here a little bit and he says, let me tell you this. If anyone thinks they're a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the command of God. And that should like land on you. I'm here for one-on-one. -on -one. That ain't the command of God when you get together. So quit saying stuff like that. Paul says. So what does love have to do with it? Well, according to 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and don't have love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You see, if I have the gift of prophecy and I fathom all mysteries and I got that PhD in spiritual knowledge and I have faith that could move the mountain, but I don't have love, uh, how about if we say it together? I am, huh, if I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to be burned, become a sermon illustration for generations, but don't have love, I, nothing. So here we are. We come in there enjoying what we think is life in the Spirit. But Paul says, by the way, there was a measurement. The measurement was the body. Was the body built up? And you thought, who cares? 
Well, I'd never say that. Oh, you know, you don't verbalize it. You just say it by the way you live out what we imagine to be life in the spirit because we don't understand the spirit and we don't understand the body. So what about the gift of the spirit to the body of Christ? Chapter 12 and verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now, this is fascinating because, you know, what it really says in this original text is just about what it means to be spirit people. I don't want you to be ignorant. You ever have someone tell you, quit acting ignorant? Ignorant. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be what? I don't want you to be uninformed. Formed. Paul says, what I want you to do is I actually want you to become a fully engaged student of the Holy Spirit. My question for us would be, is he an elective or a core class? Is he a major or a minor? Are you aware that the Spirit has a syllabus, reading assignments, and there's experiments in the Spirit you are to perform? Are you aware that he's aware that you're in need of this education. You see, all of us are already enrolled in another school. It isn't an alternative school. It's a rival school. It's an education system that teaches the truth of the wisdom of the world. It gives grades. It promotes those who excel in it. It confers titles and degrees and promises full-time employment in its services. This system is spiritual as well. It demands much. So how do you know which course of study, which spiritual university you've enrolled in? Well, it's fascinating. Because there's actually an entrance exam to Holy Spirit U. There's one question on the entrance exam. Just one but before I direct you to the entrance exam, you need to know something. You cannot study for this question. If you were Google Ground Zero, you would not have access to the information that you need. If you were the curator of the greatest museums in the world, if you were the librarian of the Library of Congress, you wouldn't have access to the information you need. If your last name was Oxford, Harvard, or Yale, you would be completely uninformed for the necessity this question poses. If your address was Cambridge, Boston, or Malibu, you still would not have access because you see the information you need to know is one that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived, but God has revealed it through his spirit. It is only by the spirit of God that we have the answer to this question. Look with me, if you would, at verse 2. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed, everyone out loud together, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Do you really believe that? That it is impossible for you to get this question right without the Holy Spirit. 
You could choke out the syllables, Jesus is Lord, but it'll never get to the part of you that actually is where the entrance exam is taking place in the soul that God gave you. This is not a vocal box confession. This is a grown too deep for words confession. This is a confession that says that at the core of who I believe I am and what I believe about the world, there is a Lord, someone in charge. And we needed to know this. You know why? Because you see there's different kinds of gifts, but one spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now to each one of you a manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, by the same Spirit. To another, a faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, interpretation of tongues. Did you notice back in verse 8, To one, there's given a gift, and to another, a different gift. Not one of you has received all the gifts, so not one of you can be the body of Christ by yourself. So you can't come and be the body and tell the rest of the body, don't bug me while God and I are having our one-on-one time. Don't bug me during communion because I'm touching base with God. God says, come back after you've learned why I made bodies. Because if you don't get the body, you don't get the spirit. All these are at the work of the one and the same spirit. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. Do you realize that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are never torn asunder? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together. In verse 11, you understand the message? The Holy Spirit has the pin number of deity's account. And he distributes gifts as he thinks best. You may have prayed for a gift He watched you and your character develop up to this point and thought, not on your life, it would ruin you. If you had that gift, you wouldn't know what to do with it. Because I'm watching how you're using some of the gifts and it's kind of iffy right now. It's the spirit that distributes the gift. So just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ For we were all baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. And we were all, what? Back up. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were, what? You know, I didn't really, I didn't know that was part of it. Back when I was baptized, I looked around and everyone was speaking Hebrew and everyone had been circumcised. So walk me through this again? You mean I'm going to go to church with people for the rest of my life that come from the ethnicities? Yes. That's 
the DNA of the triune God pouring itself back into humanity through the first and second incarnation. God's Spirit is breaking loose in humanity to unite and facilitate the rebirth of God's dream to the redemption of all humanity. Yes, this is what the body is for. And we were all given one spirit to drink. So even though the so even so the body is not made up of one part but many. So now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is a part of it. So, so Spirit, what are you saying? Well, what I'm saying is that God, Father, Son, and Spirit, lives in you singularly and communally. And whatever God is, is to be lived out in you singularly and communally. And since Father, Son, and Spirit cannot be rended, ripped, torn apart, there would be no way that we would ever put asunder the body of Christ, right? Well, maybe. But I think we got confused about what body was about. Because here's what was fascinating. Some people who read all of the gifts in here and thought, you know, kind of that thing, well, it means what it says, and it says what it means. That's, that's, that's our hermeneutic. <laughs> What's that verse mean? Well, it means what it says, and it says what it means, unless I say it doesn't. So you know that thing that talked about tongues and miracles and all of that stuff? I had, for the life of me, I had to figure out how to have a hermeneutically sound way of getting rid of those parts of the body. I had to practice hermeneutical segregation. I had to somehow say, if you think God did that in you, you're wrong. But if I think that God didn't do it in me, I'm right. And so we told them, you need to go. You folks that are thinking that this charism is still happening, you need to get on a caravan and get out. And so what we did is we went, we waited for them. We amputated members of the body of Christ and then still imagined ourselves as a whole body. Other groups picked up all the amputated parts and then also lived as if they were a whole body. And then we stood and stared at each other across the chasm, the DMZ that we had created and had to figure out a theology that actually said to Jesus, your prayer of unity is it working so we had to figure out a way to tell Jesus your plan didn't work spirit you're not in charge spirit says you haven't taken one-on-one and Holy Spirit you yet have you because there was one question and I revealed one answer and you know what that answer was Jesus is Lord But it was too hard. It's just too rough. You can't be motoring along in a decent and order service and someone pop up and speak in tongues and someone else pop up and interpret. Look at all the problems it created in Corinth. You really think that's the teaching of this scripture? No, the teaching in Corinth isn't. 
that all of these gifts were welcome. The teaching in Corinth is, is if you don't know who's Lord, you won't know how to love. If you don't know how to love, you won't know what the Spirit is doing, pouring himself out in you in a different way than the next person so that you'll need each other to make it. You won't know what we're doing if you don't know who the Lord is and you don't want to know the role that love is playing in the body of Christ. Well, I'll be. So let me get this straight. So the body of Christ begins to engage all the gifts that the Spirit decides to give to a local body, and we learn how to talk to our feathers. You say, what? Oh, listen, man. I've been in ministry a while. I've been in this one that I'm in for 21 years. And Mike, you know what I figured out? People can get their feathers ruffled. It's the craziest thing. I've actually ruffled a few over my time. And sometimes, and, and sometimes my wife is in the middle of it. Oh, I'm telling you, she went rogue. My wife and daughter-in-law had this wild idea that they'd teach this lady that came to our church, share the gospel with her. Well, they shared the gospel, and the crazy thing was her heart was open to it. So she wanted to go to Holy Spirit U. She confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. She was baptized into Christ. But guess who baptized her? My wife and my daughter-in-law in front of God and everybody. <laughs> I was even in the baptistry, but they didn't wait on the guy to put his authoritative hand over the women so they could baptize somebody. People got ticked off. They got their feathers ruffled. And so I, I learned something that day. I, I learned a lot that day. <laughs> but here's what else what I learned. I said, you know, part of what makes our beautiful movement tick is that we're people of the Word. We are driven back to the Word. So I went into the Word, and I started asking, who baptizes people in the Bible? Found out there's only one time that the guy's named, and that's Philip with the eunuch. One time. Everyone else, it's assumed. Well, we think Paul and Silas baptized the jailer. We think it was Peter and not the six other brothers that baptized Cornelius. We have no clue. And I don't think you make a gender-specific argument out of the story of Philip and the eunuch. <laughs> so what happened? What happened was we had to learn how to talk to our feathers. We had to say, feathers, I hear you back there. You're getting ruffled. Ain't no reason for you to get ruffled. The God is in charge. Jesus is Lord. The Spirit's in us all. He'll walk us through. We can go gently from ruffled feathers into the Scriptures, and we can come out gently in the body of Christ because we learn how to talk to our own feathers. We learn how to tell them, settle down back there. Well, I was at a camp, and we were going to baptize a kid, and all they had was a horse trough. So I lined up outside the horse trough. The kid was in the horse trough, and a local preacher come up while they were singing songs, called me aside. So I stepped away from the water for the conversation. He said, Don, you got to get in the horse trough. I said, why do I need to get in the horse trough? He said, because it says that Philip and the eunuch both went down into the water. 
I said, well, now this is going to get a little crazy because there ain't a lot of room in that horse trough. So either I'm going to be on top of him or he's going to be on top of me. But that's the only way that we're both getting in the horse trough. He said that I'll not be a part of it. Now, I understood that, and I appreciated a man whose conviction would not allow him to be a part of something that he thought was wrong. But if you stop there, you don't understand the body nor the spirit because you don't get the right to walk away from the body of Christ and then go be lazy and not do a thing about the theology you got going around in your head that might be not aligned with the spirit of God. So we baptized him. My guess is he thought it took. I think when the Campbells all got baptized by Matthias Luce, they probably thought it took. We met a guy in Russia one time, walked up and told us he heard a radio program and baptized himself. Well, now, wait a minute, man. You can't just go baptize yourself. Why not? There's only two people got to be there, you and God, and apparently you both showed up. <laughs> we got to understand what body's about. You got to understand what the Spirit's about. So let's talk for a few moments about bodies. I want to take us to a place that I think can illustrate for us what happens when we don't understand what bodies are for. This last week in Montgomery, Alabama, they opened the much-anticipated museum and memorial for lynchings in America. I wonder what a neck is for. Look around at the young ones you see on campus this week. What is a neck for? Well, you see, in the history of oppression, we thought that black and brown necks were for lynching. What is a back for? Is it for back breaking, unpaid, forced labor to be shredded by whips if you're not satisfied? with that black and brown skin. What are backs for? What are legs, arms, torsos, and craniums for? In athletes, where billions of dollars are pocketed on the destruction of a body that will cast aside. What are immigrant hands for? They built for picking because God thought that he'd build 
black and brown bodies to be expendable. You say, well, when you talk about it like that, that doesn't sound right. You think? You see, when you talk about it like that, that sounds ungodly. That sounds barbaric. That sounds like the most brutal thing I've ever heard in my life. That someone would look at a body and choose by skin color to imagine that that body, that neck, those legs, those arms, those backs were somehow made by God for something other than the indwelling of the glorious Holy Spirit and presence of equality in the body of Christ. What, what, what is a woman's body for? What is a woman's body for? The little girls I saw around here today Babies four months old, five months old, two months old, six weeks old. I met all these little girls. I have a little girl. She's 28. <laughs> She's my baby girl. She's brilliant. She's thoughtful. She's a theologian. She's smarter than I am, quicker than I am. She's my little girl. And I've got two tiny ones, little granddaughters that call me Baba. And when Mila, the four-and-a-half-year-old, says, Baba, the answer is always what? Yes. <laughs> we had a storm in Atlanta. It was raging. We have a basement. The kids don't. They called up 10 o'clock at night. Can we come over to your house just in case we need the basement? Of course. We go outside. The storm is raging. I grab one granddaughter. My wife grabs the other. I have Mila in my arms. Everyone goes in first. Mila and I are walking down the hallway in our kitchen, and she spots chocolate eggs. <laughs> she says, Baba, it's 10 o'clock at night. Baba, can I have a chocolate egg? Absolutely. <laughs> I watch the kids go further down the hallway. We dart into the kitchen. We're on the floor. We're trying to unwrap this stupid egg. The police, my son, comes around the corner. He sees us. What are you doing? None of your business. We're digging away at that egg. I pop half of it in her mouth, pop half of it in my mouth. She smiles. We hug each other, chocolate all over each other. What is her body for? Let me tell you what it's for. It's for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is not for exploitation by men or women for financial or self-gratification. That's not what women's bodies are for. And let me take it... Let me take it a step farther. 
And I'm not talking just to the men. I'm going to talk to the ladies. Because, listen, I've learned through the two and further through the girls in my life, my wife, my daughter, the others in my life, I have learned that women can be just as tough on each other as a guy ever meant to be. So I'm going to tell you something. Women's bodies are not for evaluation or comparison. The foolishness of the world has captured the church. And I will say one more thing. We have lived under the false assumption that the Holy Spirit prefers male bodies over female bodies for leadership in the church. And that did not arise from Scripture. That is what we put on Scripture. And we had to segregate Scripture to keep the false assumption that the Spirit would rather gift a man than a woman in leadership. That is not Scripture's teaching. The Holy Spirit distributes as he wants. You say, well, that just doesn't fit in with my thinking. Well, you need to take Holy Spirit 101 over. Because there's only one question. What was that question again? Let me go back through my notes. What was the question? The question was, who is Lord? Oh, that's right. I know the answer now. It's Jesus. Is it Jesus in your mouth or Jesus at your core? Is it Jesus in your heart? Because you see, you yourselves are God's temple. And God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And together you are that temple, amen, and the body's not meant for sexual immorality. First Corinthians start makes a little more sense now, right? But the body's for what? The body's for who? For the Lord. And who's the Lord for? For your body. Why? Because your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Well, I know this is not easy. I've been in a local church for 21 years. I love our church. I know it's not easy to figure out how to let the Spirit guide us through the false classism, racism, sexism, genderism. You know I know it's not easy. Right? And you know it's not easy. But this isn't the Lord's first rodeo. He's done it before. And he will do it again. In our generation, we will no longer tell people that they must wait for justice, assuming that our bodies were made for convenience and theirs were made for injustice. We will not live like that anymore. As elders, preachers, 
teachers, people in the pew. We will learn how to walk gently into the lives of others, to live gently in the tension between Scripture and experience, to walk on our knees before the Lord God. Because when the Spirit gets in you, you will discover that your knees will bend more than you thought they would. And so will your will. Will you care about what others consider important? Will you listen as if the body of Christ has been joined together and I'll not participate in it being torn asunder? Will you lead from strength and not frailty? Oh my goodness, I don't know if the church can handle this. This is the church of the living God. What has Satan ever thrown at it that it didn't win? Oh, I don't know. Then go back to HSU. Listen to the words of our master. The gates of hell will not prevail. Do we still believe this? When someone says to you, I don't think our church can handle this, when do you reply to them and say, then let's get on our knees and pray for the power of the Spirit because he's always been able to handle it. Would you pray that the Spirit would flood your church with His presence. So I close with these three questions. Do you want all or part of God? Number two, do you want all or part of what God gives? Number three, do you want all or part of Christ's body. I will say, brothers and sisters, I am excited about the possibilities of our future. I came to Christ in college. I was standing in the line at the Department of Motor Vehicles back when, you know, like, stand there two or three years. <laughs> I read Thomas Campbell's declaration and address Bold, clear, powerful vision. Stunning. And I thought, could this be? And the answer is still yes. A unified body of believers who will not stand for the body to be torn asunder. Who will not stand for the body to be less than what the Spirit made it to be. You see, it is by the Spirit that our knees are finally bent, that our hearts are finally pliable, that our minds are finally moldable, that our feet are finally directable, that our hands are finally usable, that our gifts are finally offerable, finally harnessed for the good work of God. It is by the Spirit that our pride is finally arrested, convicted, and sentenced to death. It is by the Spirit that we're pardoned and set free, released by His good behavior for good behavior. It is by the Spirit that we re-enter citizenship, not as one in our unjust system that condemns a person to a lifetime of marginalization and work, vote, and dignity, but rather we are full citizens, rightful heirs with all the rights and responsibilities of the kingdom. We're full participants, restored sons and daughters. The Father celebrates our presence, our 
gifts are essential to the family. No older brother looks down on you and no younger brother grovels for worth or acceptance. The ear, eye, hand, and foot celebrate their mutuality and presence among and for each other. It It is as if the DNA of the triune creator has been miraculously restored to the broken and amputated limbs. Like the bones in the valley of old, the scattered members are reassembled into the glorious body of Christ. And this is all by the Spirit. You see, the truth is, only the flood of the rising tide of the Spirit can move these ships and the only the flood of the Spirit of God can turn a satisfied soul into a useful servant of the kingdom of God. I pray that the Spirit will so flood us that the satisfaction of salvation will give way to the usefulness of service.